Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. It's good to be here. I was here, oh, I think it was probably about uh, 25 years ago. At that time, I was working with Western Baptist College, now Corbin College. And uh, now to be back with you, I'm sorry that Pastor Lunsford's not here. I had a whole bunch of stories I was going to tell about him. It's no fun if he's not here to hear it, though. So if you'd like some, you let me know. I'll be glad to tell you, and then you can give him a bad time. But Sue's here. No, I better not. She, she'll get even with me. It's good to fellowship. I wanted to read something to you that I, I ran across I thought was kind of interesting. It's called A Parable Found Between the Lines in Genesis. It says, God created the burrow and said to him, you'll be a burrow. You'll work tirelessly from sunup to sundown carrying burdens on your back. You'll eat grass, you'll have no intelligence, and you'll live 50 years. You'll be a burrow. The burrow said, yes, Lord, I'm willing to be a burrow, but to live 50 years is too long. Could I just have 20 years? And God granted it to him. God created the dog and said to him, you'll be a dog. You'll guard the houses of man. You'll be his best friend. You'll eat the bones he gives you. You'll live 25 years. The dog said, Lord, I'm willing to be a dog, but 25 years is too much. Could I just have 10 years? And God granted it to him. Then God created the monkey. He said to the monkey, you'll be a monkey. You'll jump from branch to branch, making silly noises. You'll be amusing and you'll live 20 years. The monkey said, Lord, I'm willing to be a monkey, but 20 years is too long. Could I just have 10 years? And God granted it to him. Finally, God created man. And he said, you'll be man, the only rational being on the face of the earth. You'll use your intelligence to rule over the animals. You'll have dominion over the earth and you'll live 20 years. And man said, Lord, I'm willing to be a man, but, but 20 years is such a short time. Could I have the 30 years the burrow rejected, the 15 years the dog turned down, and the 10 years the monkey didn't want? And God granted it to him. And since then, man lives 20 years as a man. Then he gets married and lives 30 years as a burrow, <laughs> working from sunup to sundown, carrying all the burdens on his shoulders. Then the children leave the house, and he lives 20 years as a dog, guarding the house. So that when he gets old, he can retire and live 10 years as a monkey, jumping from house to house, child to child, making silly noises for his grandchildren to laugh at. <laughs> Guess which stage of life I'm in. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, let me tell you a little bit about Northwest Baptist Seminary. How many of you have ever been there? Oh, great. Well, Northwest Baptist Seminary actually started as the Los Angeles Baptist Theological Seminary just right at 80 years ago, and down in the Los Angeles area, and then about 1974, 75, right in there, uh, when Dr. Charles Wagner was the president of Temple Baptist, uh, excuse me, pastor of Temple Baptist Church in Tacoma, and he was on the board, they, they moved the seminary up to Tacoma, and they operated for a year out of the uh, church there, and then God opened this opportunity for us to be able to purchase the old Weyerhaeuser Mansion and estate right out on Point Defiance area in Tacoma, overlooking the Puget Sound. You can see Vashon Island and Gig Harbor and right on up toward Seattle. It's beautiful up there. And the mansion was built in 1923. It's called the Hathaway Mansion because Mr. Weyerhaeuser, his wife, wanted to have a certain house built a certain way, and she had her way, so it's called the Hathaway Mansion. <laughs> but it's a, a beautiful uh, facility, brick building, 
And uh, then in, when he died, Weyerhaeuser died in 1935, uh, it was later sold to a Catholic order. And they had a, a school, a girls' school, and so they built uh, basically what we call now our education building. It, the top floor was where the girls lived, and then underneath were classrooms and a, a dining room and so forth. And that becomes now our library area upstairs, and then the classrooms, and we have a deli there for the students. They also built a, a beautiful little chapel, seats about 200 people, and uh, so that becomes our chapel also for all of our activities. Well, we uh, found that that place was up for sale, the mansion with eight acres for sale for $650,000. I, I saw a house, a three-bedroom, two-bedroom, uh, three two-bath house about a block away, just a normal house, $750,000 for sale now. Our property is valued somewhere between seven and $10 million. That's what God has done for us. God gets all the praise for that. But we do have now uh, a student body uh, each year. We have different uh, ones come from all these different colleges, Bible colleges and so forth, to prepare for ministry. Uh, we uh, offer the, not only the Doctor of Ministries program now, but we also have the Master of Ministries, Master of Theology and so forth. Uh, God has just really been blessing through our student body. We found that 90, right now, over 90 of our graduates are serving as pastors, or assistant pastors, or youth pastors in the state of Washington alone, 90 of them. We also have 20 of our graduates that are serving as chaplains in the military. What an opportunity for evangelism that God has given to these men. And then we have well over 60 of our graduates now that are serving as full-time missionaries around the world. And many others who are serving in all different kinds of capacities as Christian school teachers, Christian principals, and even laymen in churches that are helping to, to their uh, churches. So we thank God for them. Pray for the seminary. And if God lays it on your heart, we encourage you to contribute because this is obviously the only way that many of these students can, can afford to come. Uh, obviously by now, they're probably, most of them are married, uh, may even have children by now, but they want to get this further education to serve the Lord. And it's very, very difficult to care for a family and go to seminary. So we try to provide scholarships for them. Right now, we're endeavoring to raise about $64,000 in scholarships to assist our students. So you pray about that. If God lays it on your heart, let me know. We'll be glad to help you. If you have your Bible, will you turn to the book of Haggai? The book of Haggai. Uh, I don't know any of you have uh, ever been in the doldrums. By the way, how many of you know what the doldrums are? Any of you here? You know what the doldrums are? Uh, that's a, an actual term that came from a, a, a real spot on the map. Down near the equator, there's a place that you can find a region that's called the doldrums. What it is, it's a place where the northeast and the southeast winds will come together at a particular time of the, of the year or season, and they will form kind of an upward draft. And where those two winds meet and form this upward draft, right on the sea, it will remain completely calm, unbelievably calm. And sailors years ago whose ships were dependent upon the winds to be able to move them forward, they hated to get caught in this area called the doldrums because if they got there and it was right at this particular time of the year or season when the winds met, they would find that they would get caught there and they couldn't move sometimes for days or even weeks. 
So they got to a spot where they, they called it, we hate to get caught in the doldrums because it was such a boring, such a discouraging time. And so people have come to use that term when they're talking about some very discouraging, disappointing, frustrating times that they're going through in their life. If you've ever been there, maybe you can really appreciate what the book of Haggai has got as a message for us. Let me give you just a little background. Many of you were not in the Sunday school class this morning. We, we taught the whole Old Testament in 30 minutes. It's quite a fast trip that we took through the Old Testament. But you'll remember that when the children of Israel had come out of Egypt, where they'd been in bondage for years, and they went through the Red Sea and they came down the wilderness. They got the Ten Commandments. They went up and they finally went into the land after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. There they were and they, they went through all that period of times of the judges and the kings. And finally they got so far away from following the Lord that God had them carried off into captivities. First by the Medo-Persian Empire under uh, Shalmaneser. And then by the Babylonian Empire over here, Nebuchadnezzar. And they were carried off here for 70 years, and they were there. During that time, God raised up two men by the name of Ezra and Nehemiah, who led the people back into the land for the purpose of rebuilding the walls, the houses, and the temple. One of the groups that went back was another group under the leadership of Zerubbabel, Cyrus, who had been king of Persia. He had actually encouraged them to come for the purpose of building the temple. When they went back, Imre Solomon's temple has been destroyed. And so they're going to try to rebuild that. And they, they started by, by building this foundation for the temple, first of all. And they got the foundation built, and then they became very discouraged. They got caught in the doldrums, I guess. And they got thinking of other things to do, and they went off building their own very nice, plush, paneled houses. And this went on for several years, where the, the house of God was in waste. Just the foundation, that's all it was. And so God raised up a man by the name of Haggai. And he came back for the purpose of preaching some sermons to encourage the people to get back building the temple. And that's what chapter 1 is about. Look at chapter 1 real quick of the book of Haggai. If you found it over there, the third book from the end of your Old Testament. It says, In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You've sown much, harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill etc. And he preached this first message saying to them, folks, you have forgotten to do the very thing that God's called you to do, build the temple. Now we need to get back doing it. And they listened to the sermon, they got under conviction, they said, you're right. And they got back to work. End of first sermon, great results. You know, if I was to preach from chapter one, which I'm not, I'm going to preach from chapter two, but if I was, I'd make a little application here. The application would be this. Did you know that God has called you to build a temple? Over in the book of Corinthians, we're told what? Know you not, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, which is of God, etc. You're called to build that temple. And did you know that the foundation's already been poured? The Bible says, for other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is 
Jesus Christ. He is the foundation. If you've trusted Christ as your Savior, there's the foundation for this temple that you're to build. Now you're to build on it. And he talks about there in 1 Corinthians 3 about you either build with gold, silver, precious stone or what? Wood, hay, or stubble. That's the bad kind of building you do. The good sign is the gold, silver, precious stone. How's your temple coming? What is sad to me as a pastor, as I pastored for about 18 years here in the state of Washington, to find out that there were many people in my church who had been saved for 20, 30, 40 years, but they were no more along in the building of their temple than they were 20, 30, or 40 years ago. They really hadn't worked at building that temple to the glory of God. I could think of another temple, and that's the temple of this building that God has called you to build. You're part of this assembly. And yet, isn't it true that in many churches, 20% of the people do all the work, 80% just come and sit? How are you doing as far as building the temple that God has called you to build? Well, see, chapter one's not my message for today, so maybe we better leave that before you get into conviction, okay? <laughs> we'll go to chapter two. He had preached the message, and the people had got back building. But then we come to chapter 2, and notice what he says in verse 1. Okay? In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet, said, Speak not as Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory, and how do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet, now be strong, etc. What's happened is this. The people have gotten back building. They are working at it. They got under conviction with the first sermon, and so they're back building. But it's only been seven weeks. The first one was preached on the first day of the sixth month. This is the 21st day of the seventh month. That's seven weeks. Boy, that'd be kind of nice, only to have to preach it sermon every seven weeks, I might get a good one, you know. But anyway, he, he's preaching this. Obviously, the temple's not built in just seven weeks. They've got more to do. But Haggai has been notified by God that there's a problem in the camp. There is some discouragement that is starting, starting to take place. They are, again, you know, getting all that depression that comes, being down in the dumps. And so he's been sent to preach this message. Now in the, this next nine verses, which is this message, I want you to notice in verses one and two is an introduction. If you're taking notes, I'm sorry I didn't bring a, a PowerPoint presentation for you. So you'll just have to listen carefully and get it. In verses one and two, you have the introduction. In verse three, you have an interrogation. He asks three questions. So verse three is the interrogation. First two verses, the introduction. Third verse, interrogation. Then verses 4 and 5 are his exhortation. His exhortation. And then finally, in verses 6 through 9, what we might call the expectation. The expectation. But look at, in verse uh, 1 and 2, this introduction. I want you to see some interesting things about out of it, verse uh, 1 and 2. First of all, please note the time. It is seven weeks later from the first message that we've established. But it is a particular time. It's the 21st day of the seventh month. 
Now, I don't know if you remember much about the teachings in the, through the book of Leviticus and the Old Testament, but there was a particular feast that they would observe called the Feast of Tabernacles. It started on the 15th day of the seventh month, and it went for seven days. The Feast of Tabernacles was a unique thing where the people would go off and they'd build these little tabernacles or little booths. And they would go inside and they would sit in there and for seven days they were to do nothing but contemplate the goodness of God. Just think about all of the blessings of God upon their life for seven days. You know we have a song in our, used to have in our hymn book, I don't know if it's in yours, I didn't look. Count your many blessings, name them ton by ton, I mean one by one. What if you were to just sit for seven days and think about the blessings of God? How do you think you'd feel? You think you'd get over the down in the dumps? Being discouraged, being depressed? Well, here, they were to have gone on the 15th day of this seventh month, and they would have started thinking about this, the 15th, 16th, 17th, 18th, 19th, 20th, 21st. So by the seventh day, this is the day that Haggai comes along to preach this message on encouragement. And uh, so he comes and he's preaching it. Notice also who this message was for in verses 1 and 2. It describes for us that it was for the governor, it was for the priest, and it was for the remnant of the people. This may come as a shock to you. I don't think so. But did you know that it's possible for governors and ministers to get discouraged? It's possible for preachers to get depressed? There's a book out, They Cry Too. It's possible that they can get so down that they actually are crying. God, uh, help me. Well, he wanted everybody from the governor and the high priest through the remnant of the people, to get this message. And notice it says, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet. It was God's word. Haggai was just the messenger. Whenever a person stands in this pulpit and he preaches the word of God, if you don't like what you're hearing, don't get mad at the messenger. He's just preaching what God said to preach. Amen? So that's basically the simple thing in the introduction. But look at the interrogation, verse 3. Now, in verse 3, he asks three questions. Now, remember, the people are evidently discouraged because that's why God has sent Haggai to preach this message. And so as he gathers the people together, he says, first of all, I want to ask you a question. He says, is there anybody here that can remember what Solomon's temple was like 70 years ago? Okay, just for fun, if you're willing to admit it, how many of you will admit in this auditorium that you're over 70 years of age? Right, hold them up, if you, if you can, you know, in your older okay, There's quite a few, over 70. And if you had been living back then, you would have been ones who would have remembered back 70 years when Solomon's temple was built, what it was like. And these are the ones he wants to address because these are the ones who are creating the problem. You know, the older I get, the, old, the freer I am to be able to say these things. When I was younger, I couldn't say it because they'd be attacking you at the door. You know. But now that I'm that age where I'm up there, I can say this. You know, sometimes old people are a pain in the neck. 
And all the young people said, amen. <laughs> you know why we are sometimes to younger people? The reason that we can be a, a pain is because sometimes we live in the past. Are, are you with me? You know what I'm talking about? We can remember back when, and I remember this one church I went to. I went to be their pastor, and at the time I went there, they were running about 145. And every time I'd go to do something, people would say, well, we remember when Dr. Charles Wagner was our pastor, and boy, we were running 500, etc." And I would say, well, Charles Wagner's not your pastor now, you know. But anyway, they could always remember the past the way it used to be done back then. We're not back there. But that's what he was trying to say. Is there anybody here that can remember it, he says? He said, we need to address this issue. Then he asked the second question. The second question is, how do you see this one? How do you see it now? You see, that was the problem way back eight years before or so when they had quit building the temple. In Ezra chapter 3, it tells us in verse 15 that after they had built the foundation, the older people who remembered Solomon's temple, they wept when they saw this foundation. Why? Because they recognized that it wasn't going to be anywhere near as big and grand and glorious as what Solomon's temple had been. They wept. But Exodus, I mean, uh, Ezra chapter 3, verse 15 goes on to say, the young people, they shouted for joy. Why? They didn't know the difference. Now here it is, they're back building, but the old people again are hit by the fact that this isn't going to be anywhere near as grand and glorious as Solomon's temple. Oh, woe is us. This is just sad. And that kind of attitude was beginning to spread through the younger people. And so this is what Haggai has to address. And so he asked then the third question. And he says, is it in your eyes as nothing compared to Solomon's temple? Now, if I was a younger person there that day, I'd come in feeling pretty good. And now he says, hey, let's face it, this is nothing, right? Now I'm depressed. I think, boy, if this is your idea of encouragement, you sure blew it. No, because he has to address the issue, and then we can deal with it and move on from there. He's basically saying, yes, it is as nothing, right? But now let me tell you, here's the solution. And here's his words of encouragement, starting with verse 4. Are you ready? In verse 4, he gives you five things, if you're taking notes, five things that will help you in encouraging you to get back doing what God has called you to do. Number one, he says, and he says it three times to three groups of people, be what? Strong. He says it once to the governor, once to the priest, and once to the remnant of the people. Be strong. Now that word's an interesting word in the Hebrew. It's a word that is used once by uh, God. He used it uh, speaking specifically to David. It's used once by God uh, through uh, Joshua. And he says, be strong. Uh, David said it uh, on to Solomon in 1 Kings 2.2. God says it to Joshua, Joshua 1.6. The whole idea there is What? Is it the, now follow me, is it the idea of, hey, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps? Is that the idea? No. Any English people here? English background? Got any English background? 
My mother was from England. Now bear with me, John, okay? My mother was from England. It took us 17 years to teach her how to speak English. <laughs> they had these funny terms. We went into the gas station when my mother's driving, and I'm sitting there at the side, and my mother says to the attendant, she says, I say, she said, would you look under the bonnet? The guy looked at her, and he said, ma'am, you're not even wearing a hat. <laughs> he didn't know the bonnet was the, the hood, you know, and the boot is a trunk. All kinds of dumb things, you know. But there's one term that used to drive me absolutely bizarre. Uh, she would say to me, when I'd come home a little bit discouraged about something, she'd say, not James. She said, keep a, keep a stiff upper lip. What? Keep a stiff upper lip. And folks, as God is my witness, I'd go in the bathroom, I'd look in the mirror, and I'd I try to practice keeping a stiff upper lip. I never knew what that was supposed to do to help me. The only thing I could figure was that you do it a while long and you'll start laughing at yourself and maybe that was what got you over. Is this what Haggai's saying? Just kind of keep a stiff upper lip, buddy, you know? No, no, no. It's the same word that Paul uses over in 1 Corinthians in Ephesians. Remember over in Ephesians he says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And to do so, you put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand. You see, what Haggai is saying is, hey, folks, where, where are you getting your strength to serve? In yourself? Your own charisma? Your own personality? No. In the Lord. Remember whose you are. Have you put on your, your uniform as a Christian? Every one of those things talk about Christ. Put on Christ. Stand in him. Be strong. Be courageous in the Lord. We forget sometimes to do that, and we go off trying to serve the Lord. And we fail, and we come home discouraged. No. Be strong in the Lord. Okay? That's where your strength is. Now, God didn't just give you that strength. Remember in, in the Matthew 28, 18, 19, and 20? All power is given unto me. Go ye therefore, Christ says. We're going in his power, his strength. Now, God didn't give you that strength so that you could stand, stand around and flex your spiritual muscles. You know how the kids used to, little boys used to get in front of the mirror after they'd see Arnold Schwarzenegger or something, and they and they'd try to practice, you know, again. God didn't give them to you just so you could do that. The next thing he says is after be strong is what? Are you there? After he says be strong, be strong, be strong. And in verse 5 he says what? And work. I've got to put my glasses on to find where, where it is. And work. Work. Oh, that's still in verse uh, 4, isn't it? Work. Work. Oh, I don't know about you, but when I'm kind of depressed and down, the first thing I want to hear is get back to work, right? In fact, you know what you'll notice? When people are starting to get discouraged, they'll find ways to get out of work. I don't, I don't, I don't feel like singing in the choir anymore. I, you know, I'm so busy, I can't work in a wana anymore. I, I, boy, I, get out of work. 
Psychologists will tell you, by the way, that if you are at all down, one of the best things you can do is get back to work. Get back to work. My wife and I had the privilege last weekend, we were over in Idaho, and I don't know if you've heard, but there's a pastor there, Pastor Scott Piper. Any of you heard of him? Pastor Scott Piper is the son of Pastor Dave Piper, who pastors in Kennewick, but Scott Piper is pastoring in Cuna, Idaho. He's 42 years of age. Uh, two weeks ago, his wife died, died of cancer, and he's been left with seven daughters, 14 years of age on down to three years of age. Seven beautiful girls and a pastor 42 years of age. Well, we took them out to lunch, met them at Arctic Circle and took them out to lunch. And it was kind of a, a teary time when these little girls look up at you and they say to you, my mommy just died. And you, you hear some of the other stories. But you know what? Pastor Piper's not down. He's obviously grieving for the loss of his wife. But he says, hey, God's been doing some wonderful things through this. We have people getting saved. They're building a new church. And he says, I've been so busy, I haven't had time to think about grieving. But, but he still is in his own way. But he's working. He says, I want to get back to work. Get back to work. And God's blessing. You might pray for him. Scott Piper. Great. So that's the kind of thing that he's got for us here. Number one, get back to work. Be strong in the Lord. Get back to work. And then the, the next thing he says in verse 4, before he goes to verse 5, is, I am with you. I am with you. What does Matthew 28, 19, and 20 say? Lo, I am with you always. How long? Even until the end of the age, I am with you. Uh, do you remember Elijah? Elijah up on Mount Carmel the, with all the prophets of the groves and the prophets of Baal, and he's taking them on, and he's standing strong, and God blesses, and they, the Israelites finally kill the prophets and so forth. Elijah then does what? He goes back and he hears about a woman named Jezebel who says, I'm going to kill you. Now, he's taken on 850 prophets. Now one woman says, I'm going to kill you, and he does what? He runs. Oh, me. And he goes off and hides, and he, he cries out to God, I am the only one left. Oh, me, you know, slay me, kill me, God. You know. He forgot. God was with him. And when you have God on your side, you're a majority. He also found out that God reminded him that there were something like seven or 8,000 people that had not bowed the knee to Baal. He wasn't alone. But isn't it amazing how we can get feeling like we're alone when we're down and depressed? If you've never been there, you may not understand this. But hang on, because you'll be depressed someday soon. It'll come. You know what I, why I know that? I have found that God never teaches you something in church, in the, in the classroom, where he doesn't then take you out into the real world to see if you learned the lesson. <laughs> Aren't you glad you came this morning? <laughs> he says, I am with you. I am with you. Don't forget that. Number one, be strong in the Lord. Number two, get back to work doing what God's called you to do. Don't forget that I am with you. And then in verse five, he says this. Ready? In verse 5, he says, According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, 
You know what he's saying? I made you a promise when you came out of Egypt. And I always keep my promises. Folks, when's the last time you thought about the promises of God to you? Sometime for fun, just for a week's study, write down all the promises that you can find in the Bible that relate to you. If we had time, we would do it right now. We would just have you go through and start naming promises. I am with you always, even at the end of the age. Um, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Hmm? How about the promise that I will, you confess your sins, I'm faithful and just to forgive your sins. One of the problems I've found is there's a lot of Christian people that are living still under a tremendous amount of guilt. I know one lady that I dealt with that she had, uh, was having all kinds of emotional, psychological problems. And it was all because of something that had happened when she was 14 years of age. And I said, have you ever asked God to forgive you? And she said, oh, hundreds of times. I said, what? I said, this says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins if you confess it a thousand times. She said, no, it doesn't say that. Well, I said, well, how many times do you have to say it then? She finally began to dawn, it began to dawn on her that God had forgiven her. He'd removed it as far as the east is from the west, never to remember it against her again. I said, it's the devil that's reminding you of it. He's called the accuser of the brethren. It's not God. And then she could get victory and go on from there. How about the promises of God that are yours? They needed to be reminded of that. God says, I've given you a promise. I'm going to keep my promise. Don't forget it. You ever read Pilgrim's Progress? That's a great book. You ought to get it. Uh, just get the short version or something, the Reader's Digest version, and read it if you can't read the big one. It's a great allegory written by John Bunyan. It was for the purpose of showing a, an example of a Christian's life, what they can go through. And here was this young fellow named Christian and his friend Hopeful. And they were walking along, and they got off into Bypath Meadow. By the way, that's an example of what happens when Christians get away from walking in the Lord. They get off into Bypath Meadow. And the first thing they ran into was this huge castle. It was called Doubting Castle. And that's exactly what happens when we get off into Bypath Meadow. We can start having all kinds of doubts. Boy, I wonder if I'm really saved. Boy, I wonder if, you know, da, 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 da. And the, 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 uh, the bad giant that lived in that castle, he captured them, Christian and hopeful. And he threw them in the dungeon. And they were in there and they were being beaten by him and everything. Well, John Bunyan then shows that Christian suddenly remembered that he had had a key given to him. And when he pulled it out, it was called the key of promise. And he was able to escape with that and get out. God has given to you the promise of his word, the key against depression, the doldrums, any of that down time in your life. Claim those promises. And if that's not enough, these four things, he's given you one more in verse 5. Notice in verse 5, he also goes on to say, <clears throat> The covenant I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. My spirit remains in your midst. Now, that was in an Old Testament time. Now, in the New Testament, my spirit remains in you, not just among you. The Spirit of God resides within you. Therefore, fear not. Timothy, we read, God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of love, and what else? Power, 
and of a strong mind. Love for people, power for the problems, and a strong mind to keep a proper perspective. How's that? That's what God's given you. You don't have to be afraid. Now, I just challenge you with this thought. Think about those five things for a minute. If you are reminded of these the next time you start to get depressed, hey, wait a minute, God has told me this, God's told me this, and you start going back through them, you won't be depressed. Be strong. Remember God's with you. Get back to work. The Holy Spirit of God resides within you. You have all the promises of God, etc. And just in case that's not enough for you, he gives you one more thing, the expectation in verses 6 through 9. Look at those verses with me, will you? Verses 6 through 9, he says this. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while, I'll shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I'll shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I'll fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. What's he saying? Chuck Swindoll one time was commenting on these three verses, and he says, my, uh, my Chuck Swindoll version of this is, the best is yet to come. What he's saying is, Haggai's saying, look, God wants you to know that there's coming a day when he is going to do one more thing. He's going to shake the heavens and the earth. He's going to make a great change. It's called the tribulation period when God is going to shake the heavens and the earth. And God is going to say that all the wealth of the nations then will be brought in to build the temple that he's going to build. He said, don't worry about this temple. You build it as you're supposed to. God's called you to build this one. Do the best you can with it. But if it doesn't meet your every desire and thought, don't worry about it. There's coming a day when God's going to build his temple. And it'll be perfect. But you be faithful doing what you're supposed to do now. Just remember, though, don't get discouraged. The best is yet to come. You get frustrated building this life to the glory of God? Oh, I wish I could be perfect. Just about the time I think I may have arrived, <laughs> I do something to blow it. And I have to say, Father, forgive me. I got mad at that fellow. He almost drove me off the road, and I wanted to teach him a thing. You know, Oop, here I go sinning again. And you can get frustrated, but you know the glory that I have in my mind is what it's going to be like when I see Jesus face to face, for he's going to take this vile body and he's going to change it like unto his glorious body. There won't be any more sin then, I won't have to worry about it. But I need to keep building it the best I can to magnify the Lord Jesus Christ through it. It's his body. Don't get discouraged. Keep on keeping on, doing what God's called you to do, and in his time, he will come. Okay? Let's bow together in prayer. I wonder if in the quietness of this moment, for just a second, with your heads bowed and, and you're examining your own heart, if there might be someone here that says, Pastor, I, I confess, I've, I've been kind of down, kind of discouraged, a little bit depressed over some things. And God's really spoken to me about that this morning, and I just wish you'd remember to pray for me. Would you just slip your hand up quietly, put it back down? Yes, thank you. Yes. Yes, thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. 
Father, we do thank you so much for the ministry of your Holy Spirit. We thank you that he's able to take this precious word of yours and use it to challenge, to exhort, to remind, to encourage, to convict. And we pray, Father, that these who are facing these issues right now, whatever it may be, that, Father, you would encourage their heart through your word. Help us to keep our eyes upon you and to just get back doing what you've called us to do. And we pray, Father, for your Pastor Dave. We ask, Lord, that you would watch over him and protect him, help him in his travels, give him freedom as he speaks, bless and use him through his ministry that there might be many who would be saved even. And Father, we'll give you the praise for it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you. 